Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, bet you get 20, 20, 20, bet you get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This is a podcast from BBC Studios, the commercial subsidiary of the BBC. You're listening to Season 3 of the TalentWorks Podcast, an interview series with digital talent brought to you by Helen O'Donnell and me, Brona Monaghan. Each week, Helen and I speak to the best in the business when it comes to digital talent. Here at BBC Studios, it's our job to discover and nurture the next generation of talent who've built their audiences online and are evolving and innovating the media landscape as we know it. Lottie Jeffs is a journalist, creative director and author. Her illustrious career includes being published in The Independent, The Guardian, The Sunday Times and The Evening Standard, and of course many more. She won Writer of the Year at the Press and Publishing Association Awards in 2016 and was shortlisted for Columnist of the Year in 2017 for her eponymous column Lottie's Lexicon in Elle magazine. Lottie has always been on the pulse when it comes to seeking out the most creative talents of our generation and her eye for a story is second to none. So it's no wonder that after 15 years as a deputy editor and then finally acting editor-in-chief of Elle magazine, that she was appointed creative director at global advertising agency Ogilvy to bring her storytelling expertise to the ad agency world. She has since published her first book, How to Be a Gentlewoman, and continues to contribute to various publications. Here's our interview with Lot. This recording contains some strong language. Hi Lottie, welcome to the TalentWorks podcast. Thanks for having me. Um, We just want to touch a little bit more on your career um, and then we're also going to cover the retreat that we're currently on with the BBC Writers Room. The retreat. The retreat. It's survival. (laughs) No, it's not. Um, We... We've taken away a group of eight really brilliant talent who um, are digitally minded and forward thinking. And um, with that in mind, I would love to sort of start on, because you're a journalist by trade. Yes. Um, tell us how you first got into into writing. So it's interesting that you refer to me as digital talent because I feel like I got into writing very much at the vanguard of print becoming something bigger and um, different and digital. So I was probably the last generation of journalists that didn't get taught about online journalism at university. And as I was graduating, really, online journalism was nascent. Like it was the beginnings of social media. I think Facebook didn't exist when I was at university. Um, So I got into journalism, I guess, in a quite an old school way, which was studying English literature, writing for the student paper. I was quite entrepreneurial while I was at university. I was always about trying to make money and I um, was pitching ideas to places like The Independent from a really young age and... Um, wrote a few articles for The Independent and it was an amazing feeling seeing my name in print then in the actual newspaper um, and just loved it and found um, a few work experience places, went into the Sunday Times, 
Um, and then when I graduated, I got a job on probably the most unglamorous, unrelevant to my personal interests magazine that I could possibly have worked on. It was for the Institute of Quality Assurance. And I was, I think, the editorial assistant. And it was absolutely brilliant. And even though I couldn't at the beginning have cared less about international standardization I don't think I cared any more about it by the end but what was brilliant about it was I learned how a magazine's made because it was such a small team I was such a pivotal part of it I was doing everything from ordering the paper to flat planning the issue which is where you kind of plot out um, what's going to be on what page to commissioning photographers commissioning articles you know stuff that I would never have had a chance to do if I'd gone in a bigger title so a piece of advice that I often give young people getting into this industry is to just try and leave ego behind at that really early stage like if I was being driven by ego then I would have been like oh I don't want to be associated with the Institute of Quality Assurance I'm a cool young person that's into like art and music and culture but actually doing that meeting the people I worked with there learning being open was such a great grounding for me in the industry. So that was my first job. And then I moved into contract publishing and worked for a magazine for British Airways. And then it was from there that I really got my big break into the job that could finally satiate my ego, which was for the Evening Standard magazine. And I started as a features editor. And I think I got that job by just having good ideas. When I went for the interview, um, I pitched ideas that I thought could be in that magazine and I think they were different and people liked them so got a job as features editor and then worked my way up in that magazine and um, I was actually offered the job of editor of that magazine on the day I got a phone call offering me a job as the deputy editor for Elle and it was a real dilemma did I want to be an editor of this magazine or did I want to be the deputy editor of another magazine? And in the end, I decided to be a deputy at L because L was like a dream place for me to work. You know, I'd worked my way up from the Institute of Quality Assurance to L. Brilliant. Um, and I really liked the editor-in-chief there, a woman called Lorraine Candy. I thought she was a brilliant, um, formidable leader and I really liked what she'd done with the magazine, which was to make it a bit more digital. So finally, I was going to get my opportunity to work in a digital space because up until that point, even then, the Evening Standard magazine had been quite backwards, I guess, in what it was doing for the magazine. It was basically just like putting all of the content that was in the magazine on the internet. And it was like a laborious content management job that I thankfully didn't have to do. So finally, I was going into this dynamic print digital hybrid um, agency style magazine, worked there for three years, absolutely loved it, loved working for Lorraine, loved the team, brilliant. Then Lorraine left and I was the acting editor-in-chief, which was a real shock. I didn't expect her to leave. Um, so I then was in charge and I was the um, boss. And I had to keep the magazine going while also applying for the job. Because obviously that's a hot ticket job. If we've all read Devil Wears Prada. Mm. Like we know what that industry's like. Um, so other people were applying for that job. I was applying for the job. In the end, I didn't get the job. And long story short, I then left. Um, I then decided to use the skills that I developed as a magazine editor and journalist in a different place. So I went and started meeting with people who worked as headhunters for advertising agencies. And I got a job as a creative director at Ogilvy, which was a real risk. They took a risk on me. It wasn't something I had any experience of. It was a 
brave new sort of, well, let's see what happens if we bring a magazine editor into the advertising industry. And it was really fun and I learned loads and I made some adverts, I made content. You know, that's we're all here as content creators and actually um, that was one thing I learned, that telling stories and narrative and ideas are things that transcend the medium, really. So I had been in a position of... Um, telling a story as a journalist and now I was in an ad agency where it was about telling a brand story um, so that was a really interesting connection but at the end of the day I didn't actually enjoy it all that much mm. there it was very male dominated and it just I didn't feel like I could really make my mark in the way I wanted to make there so then I went freelance and then I wrote a book called How to Be a Gentlewoman, The Art of Soft Power on in Hard Times, which you can buy on Amazon. And um, I wrote that book and now I'm writing freelance uh, for all the nationals, magazines. I'm working from this retreat on some TV <laughs> ideas. I'm working uh, with some digital um, content ideas for advertising and commercial things. I'm still writing journalism. I'm working on a book and that's what I'm doing. Lottie, what drives your creativity? Yeah. Ooh, um, honestly, a desire to, I guess my instinct is to say, make money and be happy and look after my family. Like, honestly, I think that I've always felt like um, it's really important to have some financial security and that has been driving me but I guess it can't just be that because if it was just that I would have just got a really boring job in a bank or something not that I could ever have done that job but you know something well paying that that makes money so maybe it's a mix of um feeling like I have a, a real urgent story to tell or a real urgency in like getting my voice heard and that once you start having a platform to tell your story it's actually quite addictive um, and that feeling of of writing something and seeing it in the world and seeing the impact that it makes on culture um, is a really compelling thing so I think it's a mix of wanting to <laughs> just quite basically make some cash and also to feel like I'm fulfilled creatively and I'm having I, I'm leaving a legacy I'm telling a story mm. Well, that's where I think there's the parallels, um, you know, traditional storytellers and, and digital storytellers, but also where there's the tension, because mm -hmm. I think, you know, the publishing world, particularly in fashion magazines, there has been a lot of press about the sort of tension between um, so fashion blogs versus editorial. Yes. Um, and I think we are now getting to a point where the two kind of are collaborating a lot more and we see the value of of traditional and digital. Um, and, I, and I guess that's back to the whenever I, I I we kind of talked originally um you'd said I think it's interesting you think I'm digi digital mm. talent I mean we we kind of call people digital talent as a way to sort of stand out in the industry but really it's forward-thinking talent mm. and your career path has been so you're very you're clearly very entrepreneurial um multi-faceted multi-talented and I think that's sort of how digital talent have risen because they they take online platforms and they have autonomy mm. and they have to be sort of all all parts of a business mm. um did you did you feel that tension when you were at l was yes it, okay and what, and what was your so um something i've really got out of being here at this retreat is really getting to know 
influencers and online storytellers and really understand what they do and what their day-to-day job is like and how incredibly driven and ambitious and talented they all are. I think I came from a school of journalism and editing which really equated um, experience with quality like we had all worked so hard to get to where we were and then we'd see these young pretenders coming in and sitting on the front row or um, having articles published online and and it's threatening in a sense because one you don't really understand it and two you feel like how dare they they've been doing they're like 21 I'm 37 like it's not fair that they get the platform to tell their story and I've been working my way up all of these years to tell my story and I do think so I think that that was wrong for me to have thought that and being here has really helped me realize that I can get so much more from being open and collaborative with people who do come from this different world rather than feeling like they're a threat to me or um, it's me or them but one thing I do still believe is that the training that I received as a journalist and just the very act of being a print journalist and having your work edited by someone else and really having to work on it I do believe that the actual quality of the writing you're going to get better quality of writing in the New York Times or the Guardian than you are by someone who is a really ambitious and aspirational blogger I just do think that 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 it's better it's more authoritative it it's it's different like and I think what the other online creators here are doing is they're not trying to be um amazing print journalists they're creating content in such a different way so I think for me to understand that they're not coming after my job they're doing something brilliant that I really actually want to learn from Mm -hmm. has been um very eye-opening so thank you for inviting me no problem at all I think that's really interesting and I think your point on um editing having an editor Mm -hmm. is interesting and getting feedback on your work right because a lot of these people actually don't have that they're just it's all going out there you know and I think there's something to be said by if you carry on doing something and keep going you do get you do get better you can't there is a gradient on if you keep creating your work then you're you're going to get better but to have a steep growth or to to really make a fundamental change in work in your work you do need to get feedback and collaborate with people and whether that is at an early stage another person creating content on Instagram or another person creating content on YouTube it's sort of that it it does bunny hop you a level in the same way that you know when you would with your early writing yes it is better to get other people's voices to look at your work Mm. it does just it does just make it better and having been an editor as well as a journalist who is edited I really believe that every piece of work benefits from the process of editing. I don't think it ever makes it worse. So how do you, um, a consideration might be saying, oh, well, if I'm getting someone to edit my work, are they diluting my message? Mm. I think you have to trust that the person editing your work understands the audience and the, in my case, publication in a way that perhaps you as a contributor don't. And that can be hard to reconcile sometimes, particularly when you're close to the work. At the moment, after this um, podcast recording, I'm going to have to go back 
to my room and work on an article that I'm writing for a big magazine. I've written it and I think it's great and it's 3,000 words. It needs to be 1,500 words. The process for me of cutting those words is really, really hard. Um, and I almost feel like I'm too close to it and I can't do it. But I know I have to do it because to get paid for the article, I need it to fit the word count. Um and I used to get really annoyed when I was a journalist and someone would file copy to me and be like, so sorry, it's um, 3,000 words longer, but it's really good. It used to piss me off so much, but now <laughs> I am that person. Um, so I think I do worry that the younger people who are YouTube creators that I've met on this weekend, they don't have the sort of more experienced role models necessarily um, advising them on their work in the way that I do and I so value like the older more experienced editors who have helped me craft my writing and have helped me be a better writer I'm sure they probably do have people but there's just not quite the same like grand dames of YouTube as there are of editorial magazines and I love the you know like Tina Brown um Hanya Yanghara like there's so, so many amazing um older women editors that I've really looked up to and I wonder what some of these other people that are on the retreat would have as an equivalent. Well that's it's an, a, there's an element of longevity as well I think for a lot of big online creators they can have big moments I mean one of the one of our um, talent here Becky she's talked a lot about how she grew very very quickly on YouTube and then there's that instant pressure okay I've now got a uh, hundred thousand, hundred thousand more people watching me. What's mm. what's the next step? And so you're always thinking of okay, the next video, the next video, or the next post. You're not really thinking, where do I want to be in five years? Yeah, because you're so um, you're so uh, you're almost a slave to your it. platform in a way. And I think that's why things like this are important. Yeah, because it build it does build a bridge with other people, other people, whether that's other creators mm -hmm. or traditional media. And it's, it's good to hear both sides, isn't it? Because there is a tension sometimes, but it's good to share learnings because that mm -hmm. is ultimately how both sides are going to get better. Absolutely. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Now's the time to save 30% on wedding jewelry. Only on bluenile.com. Make sure your wedding ring is the one with your pick of diamond and lab-grown diamond bands. All hand-finished and graded for excellence. Or surprise her with something blue she'll love for life, like a stunning pair of sapphire earrings. Blue Nile's jewelry experts are available 24-7 to help, from fit questions to style advice. Right now, get up to 30% off at BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Well, that's it, because we think that you bring an amazing perspective to everything, because, I mean, ultimately, your, your career has moved forward in a more digital way your literary agent works for a digital first management company yes. um tell us a little bit about that so your your first book was with glean titles tell yeah us a that's bit right about so um i met abigail bergstrom who's my literary agent 
through Elle. She had um, actually written a really brilliant piece for us and she was somebody who kind of introduced us to new literary talent. And when I left Elle, I had a meeting with her and spoke about ideas and she really um, kind of clung on to this one idea that I had around the idea of being a gentlewoman. It was a piece that I'd written for Elle originally that had kind of gone viral online um, and was shared a lot. And people were really um, feeling a connection to it, which was the 39 things that make you a gentlewoman. And it was literally like riffing from the top of my head of things that I really respected and liked about other women. <laughs> like has a pack of cards in the house, drinks whiskey, dances at weddings, reads books to children and does funny voices. Like it was literally like just things mm. off the top of my head that I thought made cool women and um yeah it was shared a lot and people were like oh you're so number 12 or I wish I was more number 14 whatever so um that was kind of the original kernel of the idea for this book um but then it turned into something a lot deeper I realized that what I was getting at with this list was a way of being and then I explored the way of being um, more than the kind of pithy etiquette guidey listicle format so it went from something digital to something quite the the fact that it's print and that it's a book is integral to mm. its um, message and how did you find going from being um, a magazine journalist to writing writing a book it was really hard to allow myself the space to write something longer. The way I write now, and I think I've had that like Malcolm Gladwell thing of however many hours it is that he says you need to put into 10, it. 10,000 hours. 10,000 hours. <laughs> I have done that with magazine writing now. So when I sit down to write an article, I have it in my head. I can write it beginning, middle and end quotes, points, done. I'm like editing, self-editing as I'm writing it. And with writing a book, I couldn't do that because I had to physically write 90,000 words. So if I kept self-editing, I would like not have produced the amount of words that I needed for a book by any means. So I was writing and then I was kind of going off on a tangent. And if, if I was writing a piece of journalism, I would have been like, no, delete, superfluous, not necessary to the story, tangent, gone. But with this, I was like, okay, I'm actually just going to go with this tangent now and I'm going to see where it takes me and I'm going to just relive that moment and I'm going to describe it and I'm going to... Um, actually, I ended up using a lot of other like literary references in my books. So I'd reference a Philip Larkin poem or a piece of Shakespeare or a piece of philosophy or psychology or other things that I was interested in and I sort of just allowed myself to go there in a way that I don't when I write journalism. So actually, in the end, once I gave myself that space and that time to just write um I really really enjoyed it and actually writing a book felt like an amazing privilege I know I always think why can't I write a book <laughs> you can anyone can write a book you just need to do it well that's it I suppose it's just putting those I mean it's time it's that dedication of time yeah that's hard um, and then yeah. also how have you find now on this retreat obviously we're working up TV ideas mm -hmm. do you find the process similar in coming up with really similar and I think um a great testament to the fact that I left journalism to move into advertising because in that world I really learned how to create a deck how to sell an idea what 
a strategy of an idea was, how to package it up, how to present. You know, all of those things are not really things you get taught as a magazine editor. You kind of have to do presentations, but like no one really tells you how. I had no idea how to even use Keynote before I worked in um, advertising. So it's it's been really interesting to see the similarities. But actually what's been the main similarity is the idea of pitching an idea pitching an idea so um i've worked on a daily newspaper a weekly magazine a monthly magazine and advertising which is like really long and now i know about pitching ideas in tv as well mm-hmm. and um it's just funny like the way it's different you know in a daily magazine it's literally like what happened overnight what's the idea do you want it yes no bam next idea mm-hmm. in uh, when i used to run editorial meetings at l people would pitch ideas to me And the way they'd pitch would be very much like, so I've read this thing in the New York Times and I've read this thing in The Guardian and I saw this thing on Twitter. And so I think that this is a trend. It's about this. We could speak to this person. What do you think? So it's like a verbal thing. No PowerPoint, no keynote presentation, just very much conversation. Yes or no then in the room. Whereas then in advertising, it was like you couldn't breathe without making a PowerPoint presentation. Um, Everything had to be really thought out and like decks and images and strategy and everything. And then with TV, it feels like a mix of both of those things. Like you're open to the kind of quick, responsive ideas. You're open to treatments being just written out. Um, You seem to be open to like ideas being pitched just in meetings. Um, It's like quite top line thoughts. But then also I've witnessed today... um, what a kind of really thought through um, deck for a pitch for a TV show would look like. Yeah, so today we were looking at fact and treatments and we saw five or six different fact and shows and yeah, just sort of demystified them, went through them and said what's in them, what's not in them, at what point would you show this? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really fascinating for me. And yesterday we we did a session on what is your personal brand and how do you realise an idea that your personal brand is integral to? Um, I just wondered, how did you find that? Because you're so often writing other people's stories. Yeah, that's really interesting. I don't think I have a personal brand necessarily in the way that Um, some of the other people Mm. here on the retreat do because part of your job as a journalist is to kind of lean out and let other people's personal brand Mm -hmm. shine through you know I've done a lot of celebrity interviews um, and good celebrity interviews you know you don't write yourself into the interview you let the other person shine Um, it's interesting to have a point of view on in a celebrity interview and I think the best ones you do get a sense of the writer and what they think of the person they're interviewing but it really annoys me when I read um, celebrity interviews by kind of personality journalists who like the whole first page is like them banging on about themselves and what they were had for breakfast the morning they went to do the interview. Like, I'm not there for that. I'm there for the voice of the other person. So part of my career has been putting aside my ego and my personal brand in order to connect with other people's stories. However, now I've written a book which is very much a kind of strong idea and way of being, um, which is being a gentlewoman, I think I need to learn how to better package that up as a brand and as a brand that I believe in, that is integral to me. Like, I do see myself as that person. I want to be that person. It's something that I feel like more people should aspire to be. And I think um, 
seeing that as a brand and thinking of ideas for how that brand could be extended digitally into TV, um, into other kind of content avenues is something that I need to put some more thought into, quite honestly. Mm -hmm. And also, I think there's a sort of shared, well, it feels like there's a shared sort of opinion that a few people in the group don't feel represented in mainstream media and that's kind of where their frustration comes from. Is that something that you agree with? Yeah, I think so. Um, Certainly as a gay woman, you don't see many representations of gay women on TV. Um, I'm excited about the return of the L word, which um, any lesbians or (laughs) non-lesbians listening will just be excited about as well because it was the first time we saw gay women who weren't like having an awful time they lived in LA they were glamorous they were sexy they were cool they were having fun you know it was an aspirational lifestyle and I feel like until that point being a lesbian on telly had been like pretty brooksidey and like grim um so I am really keen to see more positive representations of gay people generally but particularly um gay women on tv I think we're slightly getting there with men I think we're seeing much more um examples of very happy realized um different kinds of gay men on tv like queer eye we're seeing jonathan he's incredibly sort of in touch with his feminine side and flamboyant and then we're seeing you know more sort of old school graham norton types and then we're hearing stories of like um the rugby player who has come out can't mm-hmm. remember his name you know we, we see many more um examples of the plethora of identities within the gay community but I do still feel like they're more often men than they are women absolutely and I'd love to just sort of wrap up with um what what's been your highlights so far from the retreat what do you think you'll take away I have really enjoyed having my mind changed about what social media influences are all about I think I came here feeling like I'd probably find everyone really annoying (laughs) because I'm a decade older than them I've got a kid they're all like really performative and um young um I'm sounding like really bitter now but the end (laughs) of the sentence is um I've really enjoyed not feeling that and actually finding the similarities in our experiences and learning from each other and um, feeling kind of welcomed in by them as well. Like I don't feel like um, they're sort of threatened by my presence here or vice versa. So that has been just being around those people that I'm never normally around has been really fascinating and learning about like the pressures of their of their life and career like it's mental to me like having to manage that audience at all times like on your phone mm-hmm. having hundreds of thousands some in some cases millions of people literally there on your phone that you could just be like hey guys and you'd have like a million <laughs> people respond to you like the power and the responsibility and the pressure of that is something that it's really really hard for me to understand but through talking to some of them on this retreat I've began begun to um, appreciate what that means and what level of kind of self-control and ambition that they all have and that's been really eye-opening. Brilliant we ask all guests is there a piece of work or a talent that you're particularly inspired by at the moment? Well I think for any aspiring 
magazine journalists, I would say read New York magazine because New York magazine is um, consistently brilliant. The articles, the ideas, the way they present their ideas visually, the tone of voice and the quality of the writing is great. Um, TV-wise, Succession has been my passion for the past few months that it's been on the new series. I just think the writing is absolutely incredible and funny and dark and nuanced and just absolutely brilliant. Everything I've done in my life, I've done for my children. I know I've made mistakes, but I've always tried to do the best by them because I love them. Have you thought about the possibility that your children are actually scared of you? Oh, fuck off. Honestly, some of the influencers I've met here, I would be like, seriously, you guys need to check out Becky Bambino. She's like so funny. And um, I feel like her career is going to go stratospheric. And I'm happy to have met her and had a stomp around a farm <laughs> and met some cows with her today before she, um, you know, forgets me on her dizzying uh trajectory to fame and fortune um so I think like definitely some of the other influences here as well like Gina is incredibly inspiring Gina Martin um and Riyadh you know is doing some great work for the gay community so in terms of influences I'd say it's really like the people I've met to, on this Brilliant. thing because I haven't I, I then I don't really engage in that world mm. up until this point great and if somebody wanted to find more about you and your work where would they go so you can visit my website, ladyjeffs.com, um, <laughs> or you could just buy my book, which you could buy by going into a bookshop and paying for it at the counter, or you could buy it on Amazon. Um, just Google my name or the title of the book, which is How to Be a Gentlewoman, The Art of Soft Power in Hard Times. Brilliant. Thank you so much for talking to Thank us. Thank you for inviting me. It's been brilliant. Of course. Thanks. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the TalentWorks podcast. For more interviews like these, click the subscribe button and you'll be notified when our next conversation goes live. Or you can follow us on Instagram at BBC Studios TalentWorks. See you next time.